All right. Well, thank you, Hannah, for joining us today. My name is Tiffany Kelly, and I am, I have with me today, Hannah Kendrick. Hannah graduated from UNC Chapel Hill with her BSN in 2017, and she has been a labor and delivery nurse in Austin, Texas since then. Uh, she is currently in uh, the DMP FMP program uh, as of January 2019. And we are just going to have a chat today about some things related to informatics. But before we dive into that, Hannah, would you mind uh, telling us a little bit about yourself and your nursing career to date? Yes. So, um, like Dr. Kelly said, I graduated from UNC in 2017. Um, when I went into college, I was really unsure about what I wanted to do. I started out in journalism and then kind of dabbled in maybe pre-law and changed my mind five times. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, I took lots of summer classes because I was just taking classes and everything. But I ended up in nursing thinking I wanted to be a mid-level provider and wasn't sure if I wanted to do PA or nurse practitioner. And then I got into the nursing program. So I thought I'll do that. That'll be fun. And um, really was unsure about what I wanted to do as far as if I wanted to specialize, if I wanted to get into um, med surge. And so from my clinicals, I really enjoyed women's health and um, it came easy to me. So that was kind of the natural next step was to go into labor and delivery. And I really found um, passion with perinatal bereavement and did an honors thesis at UNC with that. And um, I'm on the perinatal loss committee now. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I, I knew I wanted to be a provider. So I went back to school pretty quickly and I'm in the DMP FMP program and will graduate in May of 2022. Very nice. So you're a little, almost halfway through that program then. Yes. I, yeah, I just finished my fifth semester. There's 10 total. So I'm in the sixth. So I'm over the halfway mark. So it's very oh exciting. Oh my gosh. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, I will share. You are a former student of mine, but... Um, I wanted, so Hannah was a student of mine in uh, the health information systems class at Georgetown. And I want to ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing before you took that course, what you thought informatics was and you won't hurt my feelings. So <laughs> feel free to share whatever it is that was on your mind before class. Yeah, so I have several of my family members that are in the health field, my mom's a nurse. And I remember the transition to the electronic health record from her. Okay. And, um, and so people were having a lot of trouble with it. So I just thought it was going to be a class about the EHR system and what that meant and maybe some provider order entry things. And I really didn't know. I was just thinking that was really all I could think of as far as nursing informatics. I remember having a specific professor at UNC and she was in the um, informatics program there okay. and I was so confused about what her life was but now I have a better idea. <laughs> oh my gosh well I'll have to catch up with you after and see if, if the person that you learned from I happen to know. Um, now how do you now having taken the course and had more exposure to informatics solutions 
how do you see the role of informatics and health IT, health information technology, influencing your work and interest as a nurse? So I think that health IT has a major role in patient safety. And from that, I mean, um, and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll use layman's terms because yes. I'm not super <laughs> familiar with everything, just have a small interest. But as far as safety flags with med administrations and alerts, if you have an order that's placed or alerts for labs that are concerning, those are all safety features that we didn't have at the beginning of nursing. And even scanning patients' armbands and making sure that it's the same, those are all safety aspects. So that's probably one of the most um, obvious advantages to health IT yeah. that I see every day. But also, um, just in the future, I'm thinking about like artificial intelligence and data science and how that can really change the game yeah. and um, personalize medicine as we get more information about the patient as far as their genetics and their past medical history. And it's such an exciting and revolutionary um, portion of health that I think will continue our patient safety and continue the inventive of healthcare as a whole. Yeah. Now, Hannah, did you, when you first became a nurse, did you start on electronic health records or did you have paper-based records in your experience so far? So I've only done the electronic health record. There okay. are times when the system goes down that okay. we do have to use the paper charting. And as a millennial, that really blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Why? But, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why is that? What does it feel like when you're oh, starting? Yeah. Um, it just it just seems so archaic and also how are how how is the whole team gonna access this information? Mm. And it's so arduous going through every single thing and then also it takes so much time rather than, for instance, something simple as far as taking vital signs. When you take a vital sign, it automatically populates, rather than sitting there and writing it down. And then everyone knows about it. Yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point that doesn't often get highlighted as much, and that's accessibility. The paper-based records, there's a lot of discussion that happens about um, the clicking and the fields and the screens takes up more time, but the the paper is is static in the sense that it can only be in one place at one time and when you have data digitally it becomes an access um if as long as people have the right device then access is ubiquitous it doesn't matter where you're located so that is something that i don't think often gets enough attention so thank you for sharing that and also your perspective on starting off on um electronic health records and then sort of going back on downtime because I grew grew up in the profession starting with paper and then moving to digital records. So we're in this transition point now where there's a mix of of staff and as far as what they what they've been uh, introduced to. Um, now you've already told me a little bit about some of the areas that have your current attention but could you elaborate a little bit more on why you are starting to see the role of whether it's artificial intelligence? Um, I know you'd mentioned to me interoperability, 
data science and personalized medicine. What, what do you see the potential for with such tools if designed appropriately with the nursing perspective in mind? I think interoperability is a huge area. So in um, women's health, we have providers that aren't, um, they're not employed by the hospital. They just have delivering privileges at the hospital. So they have their own system. Okay. And for instance, at my hospital, we use CPN, which is central perinatal system, I believe. And then we also have Meditech. Um, and then our providers use Athena. And to get those two systems to communicate with each other is impossible. And so you have a lot of scanning records and then you lose the scan and either your induction is delayed and you know, that's probably the major concern is that things get delayed. And then also things get missed. So if you don't know a specific lab value of a patient like group beta strep or GBS, um, it can cause an infection for the baby and can affect their health in major ways. And so just to save time in the safety aspect, there's a huge area of improvement for interoperability. And I think there is some talk about introducing a cloud for health data, which yeah. would be huge because I think the purpose of that is to just make all of your health data accessible no matter where you are. Um, so, and I also think if someone comes in with an emergency, then you just have their health data and yeah. you can know if you're giving them something, hey, well, they're on a blood thinner, probably don't need that medication or, you know, in that safety aspect. But as far as um, AI and data science, I was reading this article and um, I will pull it up here, but it was an article about um, from the WISH Data Science and AI Forum in 2018. It's called Harnessing Data Science and AI in Healthcare from Policy to Practice. And it's, I think it's from this conference where they think of innovative ideas and talk about them. And so this really interested me because it was talking about what the future of health can be like if you incorporate health IT to its fullest extent. And so it was just saying the ambulance links to the emergency department and you have an efficient patient handover rather than the person that is doing chest compressions or giving them medication, them having to audibly say what's going on with the patient. You just have a more comprehensive and accurate record of the patient. And then you have an automated scheduling system. And so I think about how that could reduce ER wait times and just the lag that goes into that. And then it goes down and it talks about um, treatment regimens that are tailored to the specific problems and patients because you have all of their information. And then um, for me, I was thinking what would be most helpful is a diagnosis support. And so it's kind of this idea where you have um, AI that helps you look at certain, like a patient's information and come up with a diagnosis. And I think as a new provider, that could really be invaluable and also help patients get the same care or comparable care, no matter where they are. Yeah. So, so a couple things that you said that I want to ask you a little bit more about before I forget the AI one, what you said about, um, say it again for me about diagnose AI and diagnosing. 
I want to make sure I follow up on it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the idea is that you have this computer system that helps the clinician diagnose the patient. And so I think that could really be an invaluable tool for the provider because it's difficult to diagnose someone when you don't have all of their information. Mm -hmm. And also disease processes could manifest in me this way, but they could manifest in you in another way. So it's just difficult to have all of that information in your brain and apply it to to different patients. And especially as a new provider, as someone that is practicing in a rural clinic versus somewhere where you have more people coming together, like in a um, academic medical center, I just, I think it could be a valuable tool to help those people in different places get the same type of care. Does that make sense? It does. And the reason I wanted to follow up on that is because what you're reminding me of, and I can't remember if I shared this article with you or not, but if not, I'm going to share it with you again. Um, or even if I have you, what you're, what you're talking about reminds me of one of the first articles that was written about the need for, at the time it wasn't framed as electronic health records. It was, uh, computer provided, uh, it was by Dr. Lawrence Weed and, and medical records that guide and teach was the art name of the article in New England Journal of Medicine. And in his article, he, he visioned the future talking about what you're saying in the sense that we can't remember everything, nor should we be expected to because there's so many pieces to the puzzle. So we need these tools to help us make such decisions. And that article was written in 1968. So listening to you, you know, here we are in 2020, just continuing to share that perspective, um, but also building on what the current technology capabilities are. I just find it um, to be fascinating. And this, so the second thing I wanted to say, you talked about scanning um, from an interoperability perspective, scanning files. So they're like PDFs, right? They get scanned in? Yes. yes. So what's some of the challenges with the PDFs beyond the fact that sometimes you can't find them? Sometimes you can't find them. Sometimes you can't read them. It just depends on the toner. And um, and then at some points, if it's 2 a.m., you just have to make your best guess and uh-huh. say, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But No, <laughs> I think it's true. I think that that's, that's one of the reasons why we need interoperability, right? Right. You just, you look at this piece of paper that looks all black and um, the writing is in black and you're thinking, you're squinting really hard and and thinking, oh, I think that says negative. And then you go on with your life. I mean, you figure out in the morning, but you don't always have the luxury to call the provider and ask them to send them over. So, Well, then it becomes, it comes back to what we were talking about before, an access issue, right? And, right. and put an access, not an access to care issue per se, but an mm-hmm. access to data to give care issue. Right. Um, and the clinics are only nine to five or eight to five. Yeah. And so if you want to provide the same competent care to someone at 7, 7 a.m. or that you do at 3 p.m. Yeah. or 2 a.m. So. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness, we have so much work to do. Um, well, building off of what you were just talking about, 
um, if you could get involved in an informatics project or some sort of role today, I already feel like I have a clue as to where you'd like to, to find yourself, but what, what do you think would be something of interest to you? Where would you like to, um, you know, participate and help advance the field? So I think interoperability could be huge. I also just find myself continuing to talk about that. Yeah. Kind of my, my little soapbox. But I also think going um, as an FMP, going into the clinic, focusing on prevention rather than um, a reactive treatment um, mindset that the United States is in right now. As we move over to the preventative medicine, how we could really use AI and data science to focus on prevention. I think that that area could be huge as well. So I would be interested in both of those for different reasons, but either. Well, it's music to my ears to hear you say that interoperability is like your, your soapbox because I feel like it's mine as well. And so <laughs> the more we have people, especially nurses and healthcare professionals sort of advocating for the need to be able to have access to data, um, it, it's, while it's often presented as a technical um, challenge, w that is true, right? There is a technical component to it, but the reason why we're going through that is because of the care needs, right? And I think sometimes that gets lost in the messaging of, well, why are we doing this? Um, so the, the more you, you can speak up and say, we need to, you know, make data accessible, Everyone needs their little champion where they're located, right? Um, yeah. Continue to knock the door down. Um, so coming back to the really the, the fundamentals of informatics, what is so um, exciting for me to hear from you is that you're just, you've not, from my perspective, naturally integrated the concepts into your practice as a nurse and a future nurse practitioner, which I think everybody can benefit from. But why do you think it's important for nurses to know the fundamentals of informatics, even if they're not interested in becoming an informatics nurse or an informatics nurse specialist? So that's a good question. I think that it's important for nurses to know because you need to know how to use the technology that you have because things are ever changing and nursing is one of those professions that if you're not on board with the change, you're not going to last for very long. You have to be willing and available to or able to adapt. And so one of the biggest areas that I can think about this is, um, we talked about adapt in class. We talked about adapting a or adopting a common language. And yeah. for instance, so if I say heart rate, you could say pulse. Right. And but if you use the drop down menu that is in the electronic health record, it helps everyone understand what you're saying, and it helps aggregate that data and create graphs and um, so that you can interpret all of that. And so even basic, basic nurses need to know how to use the drop down box instead of free text. Um, I see so many nurses, for instance, charting in the free text, fully catheter inserted using sterile technique. You could just drop it down and, and do that and it saves you time. Granted, it's probably seconds, but also 
the computer knows what you're saying. And um, probably more important for vital signs and things like that. But even something as simple as that, and then also just knowing what safety features you have and what you don't mm -hmm. so that you can become more aware. Yeah. So if you're giving blood and you're scanning the patient, if you don't have a safety feature that allows you to scan every single little thing, then you need to be hyper aware of that. Or if you don't have a system that lets you know if you're, med, if you're giving a med too soon or too late, then you need to be hyper aware of what you're doing. Because there's so many things that you can kind of um, become on autopilot for, but those are things that you cannot. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, you said so much and I'm trying to remember where I wanna go with what you had just said. I think the, the safety features, I think, you know, again, it comes back to well, why are we doing this? And the research prior to CPOE really shows that the greatest risk for a medical um, or medication error is at that administration phase. So those, as, as much as there are, um, you know, some workarounds people have found how to get around the, the proper use of the scanner, and there's lots of reasons for that, but it's there to be a support and an additional check rather than, you know, placing all of the responsibility on that individual nurse at that moment in time, because we know that's where the greatest risk is. So it's, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy to hear you share those thoughts and, and share those with others that are listening. Um, and, and just recognizing we cannot, oh, that was the other part, the, the Foley catheter. So the free tax rate, I think this might be something again, where those that were uh, initially working on paper got so used to writing out some of these phrases that transitioning to a standard language has been, has been challenging. Um, and the, another challenge with free text is it gets buried in the comment field, right? I mean, it's there, but it doesn't mean anyone can see it. Right. Um, okay, next question for you. If you had the opportunity to design the healthcare of the future within the context of health IT, what do you think that would look like to help alleviate some current pressures? And the pressures could be really anything, but st things that sort of take up your your time and or energy or things that you think are not really that necessary, but you're finding yourself doing. Um, yeah. So I think, I think this has already kind of been in the works. I'm thinking about the data cloud. Yeah. And I mean, if I could own that as an original idea, I totally would, but I can't. Um, I would be interested in that. And I think that that really is invaluable if it is included in our everyday world. And then I also just am thinking about a way that people can place their own information and then it connects with their record. Mm -hmm. Even if it's like an app on your phone, like the health app that we all have. Of yeah. course, you have people that are concerned about privacy and you have to think about how connected do we all want to be right. and how much information do we want to share? So that's something to consider. But I think if we do a cost benefit analysis of that, it's really more helpful 
for your providers to know your information, then the risk that, I don't even know the risk that people would say, I guess just that my information is out there. But if it's protected in the right way, yeah. and if you have the security features that you need and you have the firewalls and you really work hard to protect this information, then I think that people oftentimes use HIPAA as kind of an easy way out of invention and, and, and it's like innovation. But that's, it's not used as a hard stop. It's used to protect people. Now I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles, but I feel like we're on the same page. <laughs> I feel like you're, you're, we're on the same page. No, it's absolutely true. And, you know, uh, there's some interesting developments that have been happening with interoperability on the patient side from the Office of National Coordinator. Uh, they released a new role in March where um, providing access to patient data is becoming a requirement. Um, but the thing that always sort of makes me think about the value of this is uh, consider those that are on medications, right? So they come in for a visit and you and I both know, you ask the patient, well, can you tell me what meds you're on? And I mean, nobody has a uh, photographic like digital database in their brain to, to really record all of this. So there's all, you're already set up to miss things. And then, you know, maybe they bring it in a bag, but you don't know what all those meds are in a bag if they're loose. So like there's all of these steps where you're already sort of behind the eight ball because you don't know exactly what the patient's on. But if you had some sort of digital record that could be shared that mm -hmm. was kept up to date, then these challenges and risks sort of reduce that places more um, responsibility on the patient side, which I think is, you know, we've talked about this when you were in my class, it's really not about the technology, it's about the process and the people and the adoption of it. So getting people to be, as you said, how much do people wanna put in? So I think we're in an exciting time. Um, the cloud, I think is, um, I'm glad to hear you say that. What do you see as an advantage of the cloud over the, the um, standard servers that live in the facilities? So I'm no expert in this by any means, but I just think if it's in the cloud, it's in the cloud and it's in the cloud. If it's in the server, it could get destroyed. It could, you know, not communicate as easily, but we all are familiar with Apple iPhone cloud. Yeah. My pictures are in this area and yeah. I can't see it, but I know that they're there and I know that I can retrieve the information if I need it. Yeah. And it's staying there. Um, and so I, I think that is exciting. Also from the patient perspective, one of our goals as providers is to include the patient in their help. Right. And I've seen, you know, it may be the patient population that I'm working with, but I've seen patients really want to be involved in their care. And I just think as far going back to the prevention versus treatment yeah. of healthcare, I know that when I started using my smartwatch, I, I was thinking I, I am going to absolutely meet my step goal every single day. That's so easy. I'm so active. And then I had it on and I was like, hmm, it's a little harder than I thought it was. And so you just have this accurate picture of where you are. 
And whether that's diet or exercise or, you know, whatever your health habits are, you can just, you can maybe pick up on things a little bit sooner to prevent them rather than on the back end, you've been inactive for 10 years and now you have, you know, yeah. some situation. So I think that could be helpful as well. Well, you bring up an interesting perspective of linking the value of having um, accessible personal level data on a regular basis, probably aggregated in some way that you can like month to month make sense out of sort of your own um, progress before reaching the point of entering the hospital where you've had, as you said, months or years of sort of lack of monitoring for or activity and then at the point of tertiary care you're sort of now it's harder it's harder to go backwards right mm -hmm. it's easier from your health perspective to work forwards but we're not really um what's the word i want to use in my opinion I feel like we've sort of, we, we think of healthcare as when you need to go to the hospital, or you need to go to the doctor rather than the daily life choices that you're making. Mm -hmm. And so that's also a culture shift, but um, you're right. I think in the steps, I totally agree with that as well. It is a lot harder than, <laughs> than it yeah. seems at times. <laughs> Definitely, especially being in months. grad school. <laughs> yes, right. You're like, do I take the walk or run or do I study for the two hours? And like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I, think, I right. Yeah. And I think we understand that as far as treating pain. We made pain the fifth vital sign. And then we know that it's easier to prevent pain than it is to catch up with it. And so if we can adapt that mindset to help, it's easier to prevent these issues than it is to catch up to them and treat them on the back end, then that would be invaluable. Yeah, very good. Oh my gosh, I'm enjoying this so much. All right, well, I have one more question for you. Okay. And this one's up for you. Is there anything else that I haven't specifically asked you that's around the broad spectrum of informatics that you feel might be helpful for somebody that might be watching to hear. Yeah. So I, I think whenever I first went to your class, I had no idea what it was about and I didn't know really where we were and where, what the goal was. So like, where are we going? How far away are we from that? Kind of what do you see in the field that's exciting and, and why do you do it every day? Is that a question for me? Yes, that is a question. Oh, so where are we? Where are we going? Oh, um, okay. So I've been in this field for 17 years and I, um, I found my way into it. I didn't know what informatics was probably for the first year, maybe year and a half that I was in my role as a clinical analyst. I had left direct bedside care and, um, had left, I was working at Boston Children's Hospital and I had left and I went somewhere else and missed working in a hospital, but I didn't really necessarily want to go back to direct care. And I was starting to get my master's degree in administration and MBA. And so 
I was really starting to think at systems levels, like organizational systems, not IT systems. But they, Children's was developing their electronic health record system for implementation. So this is early 2000s. And they were recruiting nurses that had clinical experience at the hospital. So I had that experience and I share that because I had virtually no technical experience. Like Excel was foreign to me, right? So I share that because these are things you can learn. Um, and so at that time we were implementing electronic health record and, you know, you're in the midst of it and you think like, there's, there's gotta be like, you see things that could be improved on and you're like, well, why can't we improve on this? But then looking from a timeline perspective, we were ahead of the national curve because in 2009, so I told you already that 1968, Lawrence Weed was talking about we need digital records, right? Didn't use EHR as a concept. It wasn't actually the term used until really the, the 90s. Um, but then in 2009, with the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, that's when the incentives came out for hospitals and providers to adopt electronic health records. So really the majority of the last 10 years with heavy in the first five has been in transitioning to a digital record-based system and so that's most immediately where we've been right so we've been rapidly adopting across the nation and probably faster than had been done in the past so why that's important to know that is you're recognizing right now and everybody does every time i go give a talk somewhere and ask about a clinical problem that they have, it's always about why don't my systems talk to one another? And it, it, it's sort of, and I'm not even sometimes there to talk about EHRs. <laughs> so it catches me by surprise sometimes. But what that means is that we have, like, we have to lay the foundation before we can start like putting the walls up, right? So we have to get the systems in place. And now what happens from that is you start to look at the processes and say, well, okay, we can enter the data, but like, I need to look at it differently than how I'm putting it in, or I need bits and pieces of this to make these inferences. And I can't do that easily. Uh, so some of that is interoperability. Well, a lot of that's interoperability, right? We, we, in my opinion, it, it does not make any sense to me that I can Google, um, how really much of anything, but what I can't do is easily access my own personal health records. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that frustrates me greatly as a, as a person. Like, I don't like to use the term patient when I'm not in a, a hospital bed. Um, so interoperability, I think is a large part of where we're going. I think that's definitely gonna take the next 10 years, maybe longer. There's been a lot of work on it but we're at a point where people are starting to recognize we need to do this. Like it, it's, it's more than a technical challenge. It really is a care issue, in my opinion. Um, beyond interoperability, the workflow needs. So recognizing that, um, you know, maybe we don't have the right uh, hardware or maybe we need to look at making things more nimble or making implementations easier to do rather than taking months to years to do. Like, these are things that we could improve on and make better. I do think, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about virtual reality and 
Um, I think artificial intelligence will come before virtual reality in some ways. You know, when what frustrates me is, and I agree with you in your point of HIPAA being used almost as a blocker for some of this innovation when it really wasn't meant to do that. And it, it's, it doesn't prohibit these activities. It just means that you have to do extra steps to make sure that the patient's information is protected. But making sure we're not sort of jumping leaps and bounds ahead of where we are so that we can get data interoperable and we can get people devices that are more supportive. Uh, from a profession, what I'd like to see is that, um, you know, every nurse feels comfortable recognizing that the data that they're collecting from the patient and they're entering in and accessing is really vital to their success of caring for the patient. Mm -hmm. um, if there was one thing that I think every nurse could, could feel comfortable with, I think it would be that. Because once you can see like the value of all of those items that you're entering and what that means to what you need to do, I think you have a different perspective. Um, you asked me what I do. So um, my informatics roles have varied over the years from analysts to consultant to educator. Um, it really depends on what the need is. And what I like about that is um, typically if I'm working as a consultant, a client will need help figuring out how to take a something on paper or some product and design it for use by a group of people clinically with the existing technical capabilities. And I enjoy that piece a lot because it gives you, it's like a puzzle. So you have what the clinicians want and need, and then you've got what the, the technical framework can do and then it's a matter of like, okay, how do we piece this together and meet the needs of everyone else? You don't always get it 100% right. Like there's no perfect system, but you can usually come to a place where recognizing what you're looking for and what's available can come to some sort of baseline and then, then it becomes enhancements. So, um, it evolves. And, you know, I think one of the other things I like to see is just more um, understanding of the importance of having nurses with informatics expertise and the other side of that, having informatics nurses available. Because I think we, um, it, it helps really remove some of those confusing um, I often say it's two different languages, right? So mm -hmm. use the word code, for example, right? The word code in a, in a clinical care unit means something very differently than it does for someone that's writing a new program. So that's just like one word. And if, <laughs> you know, if, if neither one of these, you know, if we've not interacted, then how do we bring people together to a place to collaborate? So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I've enjoyed it. I mean, it's not something that I expected would be where I would thrive and enjoy as much as I do. Um, but it also has helped me to really, you know, think about innovation, which is another area of my expertise and, 
and how do we design solutions with the end user in mind? So I could talk forever and I don't want to, this really isn't about me, but does that answer, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Cause I think a lot of people are confused about what an informatics nurse or informatics professional does on an everyday basis. So I yeah. think that's really helpful. Yeah. I mean, it is something that I hear as well. And, um, there are a variety of different roles. Um, and I think that's another thing that sort of complements the nursing profession as well. Cause if, you know, there's so many different nursing roles you could take in care. And the same is true with informatics. I think we're going to see more informatics roles in industry at um, some of these larger companies that are developing, um, you know, like for example, Apple with Apple health, I'm sure there are nurses on that team um, and other areas because it's, you really can't design without having that knowledge to know what exactly like pulse versus heart rate. You know, from a technical perspective, someone's going to think those two things are different. Right. But are they? Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, that turns into a philosophical question. But yeah. Um, is there anything else that um, comes to mind that you might want to share? It's okay if not. I just want to give you that opportunity. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of people fear that maybe AI is going to replace people like, you know, the whole idea that robots will replace humans. And, um, I just don't think that's true. So there's, there's all these articles that say that it's going to be like an assistant and, um, it's just a tool, like another tool that we use. And yeah. And if we think about the electronic health record, Millennials like myself cannot imagine a world that you charted things by hand. Um, <laughs> even though I kind of back up on my where did I start in the whole informatics world because my first ever job was in a um, dental surgeon's office and my job was to go through paper charts and throw away the ones that were older than seven years. So <laughs> that's where I started. And I quickly realized that it was very ineffective and I could have been used in another way. But yeah, yeah, all that to say, um, I just think that data science and health IT can be such a tool that we use and not necessarily something that hinders patients, whether that's their privacy or anything like that. I agree. And uh, it's funny you say your dental dental office because I was at mine recently and there's all those paper charts. I do think they have a digital system now, but they, I don't, I don't ever ask. I don't go there, but um, it's, you know, thinking back, it, you know, it just is crazy to me, like how we are still sort of holding on to some parts of paper and um, every other industry has found ways to sort of really truly transition we'll get there but Mm -hmm. we started behind because our you know our digital records took so long and they are extremely complicated but anyway we could keep you know i could talk forever and that's not what we need to do today so well hannah thank you so much i i it's been a delight to see you again and to hear from you and thank you for sharing your thoughts because i think that there are many other nurses like you who um, have an interest in this field, aren't really sure what exactly it is or means. And so 
I believe this will help um, give a better perspective from someone other than myself. So thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. Sure.